Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Elliott. Very excited today. We have a special guest. I actually met this individual over at the Rod Cleef Boot Camp Multifamily Syndication uh, event over in Denver just about a month or so ago. Uh, he's from Massachusetts, just about to quit his job, uh, retire from his job, and uh at just 49 years old. And it's all within plans behind this. He does enjoy his job, love it. But at the same time, you know, he does have a bigger vision. And there's a lot of, I mean, at this point, he's developed and invested into 2000 doors. So 2000 doors is, you know, something uh, a little hard for a lot of individuals out there to actually get their mindset behind and really be able to grasp and understand. He started his own investment firm has been able to raise money, put money into the firm, and then be the middleman to be able to employ it into safe, secured assets into the multifamily apartment building strategy and uh, do value adds, uh, safe, secure, getting great returns for his investors and be able to get himself a part of these deals, which is awesome. So uh, we're definitely going to dive into that as well. But Steve, dude, how are you doing, brother? Appreciate you jumping on. I am doing awesome, Brandon. Uh, really uh, happy to be here on the podcast to share my story. And, and I got to say, even as you're saying you know, these things about me uh, as part of my intro here, it's a bit surreal to, for, even for me to hear 2,000 doors and to hear like leaving the job. And, and that's it is, thing. isn't it? It's crazy. It, it, it's big it's goals I set two years ago. Yeah. I love it. So let's, uh, you know, I do want to talk about that. I want to talk about the goals. I want to talk about the mindset. Like, how the hell did you wrap your head around this? You know, but first and foremost, for anybody out there that doesn't know exactly who you are, do you mind just diving in a little bit about yourself and how you got started into real estate? Yeah, yeah, I'll give the uh, the nickel tour on uh, who I am and, and where I got started. So, uh, you know, literally, I do want to put this out there because a lot of people have kind of excuses that they tell themselves about, you know, they came from a poor family, they weren't educated, they're immigrants, whatever, right? I had yep. all of that, right? I didn't speak English when I moved here. Um, I was very young, so, you know, but my family didn't have money. We didn't speak English. We figured it out. Oh, I love uh, it. Where, where are you from originally? So from Quebec, uh, rural okay. Canada, right? We were on the farm, uh, literally nothing. I love right? it. So my parents qualified for, you know, food stamps and, and other assistance, and they never took it because they were too proud. Yes. So, you know, it's that sort of background. I'm not going to get in heavy into that stuff, but, yeah. um, you know, they decided that an education and going to college was important. And, and that's, that was my way out of there, sure. uh, out of that sort of situation. And um, it's really paid off. You know, I had a great career. I studied IT, got into the IT business pretty quickly, uh, landed in pharmaceutical and, and biotech, uh, which are great industries in, in a great market here in Boston. And that career went great. I mean, everything was wonderful about it. I was climbing the corporate ladder, thought I was going to be a CIO one day, went and got my MBA. And then, you know, 2008 hit and, you know, the economy got a little wacky and, and there was a little bit of fear and uncertainty or what I call FUD, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. 
yeah. about, uh, you know, will I ever be able to retire with my 401k getting a you know, 30% whack and just started thinking more about that stuff as I was getting into my forties at that time. And also the, um, the company I was working for took a pretty good hit and then they were an acquisition target. So a larger pharmaceutical company came in and bought them. And then, um, at the time I was managing a large team. So I had to do some layoffs, move some people around. It wasn't a pleasant time and it gave me even more uncertainty about my, uh, my future in the corporate world. Uh, and that's when the wheels started turning a little bit, started listening to rich dad, poor dad, and, and that sort of thing. Okay. I love it. And so what year was this that you actually jumped into real estate? Uh, so 20, early 2011, I started to, again, look at alternatives, rich dad, poor dad. Um, well, first I was looking at, you know, how do I secure my retirement? How do I not maybe take the typical path? So I started looking at, um, like the fire movement, financial independence Mm -hmm. and, um, extreme frugality and, and that sort of stuff. And that didn't go over well with the family, right? Like every kid has to have their iPhone. Everyone has to have a thousand channels. So, you know, I, I couldn't really cut too much. I'm yelling at the kids to not run the water while they're brushing their teeth. And I'm like, in the end, I'm thinking this stuff doesn't really make that much of a difference in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Maybe I need more of this abundance mentality. Thank God I found some of that stuff online. And yeah, so it's just kind of changed my mindset a bit. Okay. Now let's talk about mindset for a minute. I mean, you've always enjoyed your job, correct? I have. Yeah. At, at that point I was loving my job. Okay. I was has, there, has there been any point in the last couple of years that you're just like, you know, enough is enough. I don't want this. I'm not happy anymore. Or I would say not until about, uh, you know, maybe a year ago. So I started yeah. this business, um, you know, getting really active in syndications yeah. uh, almost two years ago. And about a year in, I had grown the business. I'd done a couple of deals as a general partner, raised some capital. And, and, and I started to see like, wow, I, I could actually turn this into my new career and, and completely leave the corporate world and just follow this and, and be a um, full-time investor. Uh -huh. So when that light bulb came on and I saw that potential then I started to think about, you know, every time I was going to work, I'm like, man, I'd rather just be working on my business right now. And, and then it was a struggle for like a year of how do I stay engaged? How do I continue to add value? I mean, they're paying me a paycheck and it's a nice one. It's, it's a lot of stability. I've got kids in college. So there's a lot of good reasons for me to want to stay engaged there. Um, and I wasn't sure you know, necessarily how long it would be for me to build this business up. And so it was, it was, you know, work first side hustle or real estate was second it was nights and weekends and, and that was also tiring right doing that for for two years now of nights and weekends it, it's a grind okay i love it um as you were getting ready to i mean you're 49 years old right now you're just about to quit your job and um and, and go full-time into I guess, real estate at this point. I mean, is there any other big, huge plans or goals that you're trying to accomplish moving forward? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's growing the business. So okay. first I want to say like, as we speak, I'm looking at Monday walking in and, and giving notice. So by the time we Ooh. air, um, you know, I'll have already been uh, out of the job and, and trying to figure out exactly what you just asked, right? What do I do with yeah. myself? Yeah. Good for you, man. Good for you. I really do yeah, love that. Yeah. A lot of people out there struggle with that. And maybe not even as excited about their job or passionate or like zero interest whatsoever, really hate who they're working for, but they're doing it because they have to, mm -hmm. you know? So it's awesome to have real estate as a backup and to get to a point where you can actually leave your job if, if, uh, and, or call out it, you know, 
if you're sick, you, you don't feel obligated to go in, you know, like you're, you're not in one of those horrible positions. It's good to have options. It is. It really is. So when you were, when you were getting to this point, you know, what kind of goals were you making to, to be able to set yourself up for this? So I think we have to go back a little bit. Like I started to invest initially in smaller multifamilies around here, right? Around the Boston area. Locally. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought my first triplex after you know a year of, of going over the numbers over and over, you know, I had that analysis paralysis, picked up a triplex finally. And I was like, Oh, this isn't so hard. And then I picked up another one and another one. And I just grew to 16 units in, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, again, it's nice that I was in a, an IT job and, and, you know, making a good salary. So I had the money to, to put into these properties and to buy them. And I did a couple of fix and flips really enjoyed that, but also was looking at that. Like, this is just another job. It's not sustainable. I can't really scale to the point where I'm going to replace my, my corporate uh, income. So that's when I started to look at syndication and what am I going to do there? And, and you, know, it's, I, you know, at first it was just passively investing in syndications. Okay. Add up to about a thousand units before I became passive. I mean, I'm sorry, active as a GP. You know, the first goal was I want to do one of these things on my own. So that, you know, that was sort of the first thing around syndication and started talking to all the people that I had invested with. And even as I was making those investments, I'm like, tell me more. What, what's behind the scenes, right? What, is, what does all this entail? You know, how do the GP splits work? And you know, tell me more about property management on, the, on this scale. Yeah. Learning the business so I could feel more comfortable with it. And then finally signed up for some online training, did that. Tried to make a bunch of offers here in Boston and nothing was working because it was too expensive. Thank God nothing worked because I had no idea what I was doing, right? A thousand dollar online you know, training is not enough to do this business well. Uh, but at the time I thought maybe it was. Uh, plus I had that experience of managing my own properties for a while. So uh, eventually signed up for coaching, hired a mentor and things kind of took off from there. Um, so within a year I went from, I think it was 16 units to 760 as a GP. So, and, it, yeah. and this was all from just, you know, kind of unlocking that coaching aspect of, of getting somebody that has already been there and done it to help you. Yeah. So, you know, so that, that piece of coaching was, it was much more detailed. It was, you know, you're getting that kind of one-on-one -on -one attention and then you also have a group. So there's group coaching calls, yeah. building a network. So there's a lot of people you can talk to, to make sure you're, you're kind of dotting all of your I's, crossing your T's, you, you really understand it all. Where I thought maybe I was lacking some pieces of the puzzle, I was able to plug those pieces in. Um, I had that nice backstop of, I know that my coach isn't going to let me do a bad deal. Yeah. And if I need other people to help me with the deal, I've got this great network now that I can rely on. So that started to put all the pieces together. And that's where I was thinking to myself, okay, I want a hundred unit uh, property. Yeah. Under contract, right. So that, you know, that was one of my first goals. And then it was, well, I want to get to a thousand units. And then it was, I want to have enough cash flow that I can uh, leave my day job before I'm 50. Yeah. So as that momentum built, the goals became bigger and bigger. I love that. When you were going through this training, uh, surrounded by all these other like higher end uh, individuals that have that stronger mindset, I guess, what was the fear like? Was there any type of feel, fear that you were still going through or you were surrounded by so many rock stars that you guys could bounce ideas off of each other or get your questions answered to kind of eliminate those fears? There was not much fear at that point. Once I, I felt like I really understood the business, yeah. 
and was surrounded by the, the, you know, the individuals that were also learning the business. And some of them were further ahead of me. Some of them had these huge abundance mindsets. Yep. You know, it all became very comfortable. Then it was just like, let's, let's go, all right, let's yeah. get together. And you know, I was talking to a lot of different people. People were underwriting deals all over the country. And eventually one of them hit where it was actually, you know, the numbers looked great. It was in a great market great partner for me to partner with and bam, we're off and running on 130 units. I love it. Yeah. You know, I, I see at the end of the day, like the right education will always eliminate that fear. But I see with just a a small handful of people that I, um, I I do coaching one-on-one with on small residential family. If they're doing the strategies that I am with the burr or fix and flip. And basically, you know, I see them for their first couple of deals. They're still in a, a lot of fear, even though I'm with them and, and walking them through it and they are getting educated. They, they are understanding the process, but uh, there's still that beginning fear of like the unknown. And it's something it's kind of funny to see because as I'm looking at their deals and seeing the full picture, I'm like, you know, I've done this several times and and I, I know how good they have it. Right. Um, but it's still like they haven't done it yet. So it, it is a little fearful. Yeah. No, so I've, I've been in that same position with some local investors here. Yeah. They're showing me a deal. Most of the time they show me a deal. I'm like, don't do it. That's, that's not a good deal. And here's the 10 reasons why. Exactly. Yeah. Once in a while you see one and you're like, wow, like that's a fantastic deal. And they still don't want to do it. They're, they're, they're nervous or scared. Yeah. And I literally tell them, do the deal. And if you don't like it, I will buy it from you at, at the price that you paid. That's right? what I say. I'm, I, I, guarantee. I'm like the same thing. I'm like, look, if you don't pick it up, I'm going to pick it up. So somebody right. needs to like, somebody needs to make the action here. And yeah. then they, they start getting the like confidence again. But, uh, but it is funny because the first like initial several deals, uh, there is that little fear factor of not doing it yet. So no matter who you're with, but I guess, you know, in your situation, you're surrounding yourself with a big group of people that are all doing the same exact thing, a kind of like a family vibe, I guess you could take it. And everybody's spitting ideas off of each other and so much confidence. The mindset is different for sure. Yeah. There are other podcasts out there. One of them in particular focuses on the first deal and what happens when you have that first deal. And it, all those things were true. Once I got my first deal done, the caliber of people that would come to me uh, with deals and say, you know, let's partner on this deal together, or would you like to partner? The caliber of those people started to raise higher and higher yep. um, to the point where I was then invited into a mastermind group of folks that have literally thousands of units. They've been doing it for 10 years or, or yep. whatever. Right. Um, so now the, the partnerships that I have are, are people that, that are just my, much higher level. Their businesses are much further along. So talk about, you know, having the, the confidence to move forward and to do big things when those are the people that you're running with, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, I love that. So let's talk about learning curves. I mean, there's got to be some kind of learning curves along the way that, you know, hopefully you didn't have to go through and being surrounded by, you know, an awesome mastermind that obviously helps it. But has there ever been anything that a little smack to the face here and there or something that maybe overlooks or as you, you've gone through, you've had to take a, a little bit of a learning curve on? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's like dozens of those things. Yeah. <laughs> so the, you know, one thing I like to say is I am the third sibling or third boy in my family. So my two older brothers made plenty of mistakes and I got to watch them go through things. <laughs> yeah. So so far. I, I, like got, I got really good at learning from other people's mistakes, which is awesome. And I, you know, again, 25 years in the corporate world, 
I've got a good sense of, of you know, what's going to work out and, and not work out and when do I have enough information where I can move forward and feel comfortable. For sure. Um, and a lot of that was in projects, right, in IT, um, in technology spaces that are brand new. So cloud computing, when it first came out, everybody wanted to move to that. And I knew nothing about it. So I had to go learn just enough to be able to then bring on the experts that are going to do the work and, and you know, sort of keep them honest. Yeah. And so that learning curve on the multifamily side was similar where I wanted to be around the people that knew most that would, you know, I could leverage their experience and, and just run up that learning curve much faster and still have them to rely on even when I do take action. Uh, in terms of making mistakes, uh, I would say more on my small portfolio side, but, but a lot of those mistakes still apply in, in the bigger multifamily. Um, so I bought a six unit in a neighborhood that was uh, what I thought was up and coming hasn't gone anywhere in, in you know, three years or something. Um, and it's just kind of sitting around and it's a bit of a pain, you know, a little bit of extra brain damage dealing with the lower class tenants. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we did a nice turnaround on it in terms of the, you know, renovating the property and making it look nice and bringing in quality tenants. But the, the quality tenants that come in are like, I don't really like this neighborhood that much. And maybe this isn't the right place for me. So there's more turnover. Right. Okay. Multiply that times 200 units. Right now you're in trouble and you have investor money in. And right. So I know not to make that mistake anymore. And not just because somebody told me, but because I've made it. And um, so while it's, it's great to learn from other people's mistakes, it's, you know, it's good to make a few of your own along the way. Of course. No, I love that. That's so good. Now, what made you believe that that was like an emerging market right there? Was there just certain signs that you thought like, you know, it's very close and it's kind of coming into this neighborhood? Uh, there was a little bit of that. I mean, I, Honestly, I, I grew up in that neighborhood. So this is up in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. So an hour away from me. Yeah. Um, grew up in that area, not directly in that neighborhood, but pretty close. And I just wanted to believe that yeah. it would be a great place to invest. Right. I just okay. wanted to have that place, uh, you know, near my home where I grew up. I used to drive, drive by there all the time and just be like, hey, I own that place now. You know, yeah. So there's definitely some emotions there, which again is a very important lesson. The numbers yep. are much more important than the emotions. Yeah, that is true. Cool. Let's um, let's talk about uh, really quickly. Just when you when you mentioned just a few minutes ago, um, getting your mindset prepared and your goals for getting you know your first hundred unit complex and then a thousand unit complex. What kind of steps did you take in order to to get that first hundred unit complex? And how long was that process before you actually took it down? Uh, that was so. My first six months of, of coaching was really, you know, getting the fundamentals down um, and then starting to take action in terms of trying to reach out to uh, brokers in, in the markets that cash flow the best in the country. Yeah. Uh, trying to build those relationships and underwriting, you know, whatever, dozens and dozens of, of deals. Um, and you'll hear now it, it's 100 underwritings before you make an offer on you know, maybe 10 of them. Yeah. And if you're lucky, one of those gets accepted. Yeah. Uh, so that those are the metrics today, which you know, it wasn't even that tough back you know a couple of years ago. But it's a grind. It's a lot of work. And what I started to realize was um, I don't really love doing all that underwriting. I have a full time <laughs> job. I have three kids. I have so much going on. Yeah. I only have so much time in the day. So I started to take a step back and think about you know, what are my strengths. What do I bring to the deal? Then I started thinking, well, you know, getting the deal done. Um, you know, getting things done, I like to say, is what I do at work in terms of program management, project management, uh, managing budgets on these large projects. And so I said, you know, I want to be able to do the same thing and just leverage those same skills. And a lot of it's relationship-based. 
So one of the big chunks of, of, um, of work related to taking down 130 units is raising the capital, right? $2 million raise. Somebody has to manage that whole process and it's a lot of work. Um, and you have the, the SEC or the syndication docs, you've got uh, you know, setting up bank accounts. And there's a lot of things that go on there that are aside from broker relationships, um, you know, finding the deal, getting under contract and then managing the deal after the fact, right? Property management or, or um, asset management. There's so, a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. <laughs> so many, right. And there's so many really strong people that I had now met that yeah. were in these markets where, you know, they went to high school with the brokers. You know, they have such an in that I will never have. There's no chance I'm going to get the, the well, I shouldn't say no chance. I felt, I felt at the time that the chances were pretty okay. slight that I was going to be the one who gets the, the, the call from a broker on an off-market property when there's five or 10 guys in that market that already had those relationships. Yep. So I, what I did decided to do was to call those folks and to speak with them and, and say, I can bring capital. I can manage your capital raise. I can do investor relations. I can help with the things that I can do for my desk yeah. in Boston, right? Um, which is talking to investors, uh, you know, even the SEC documents, reviewing those, uh, helping with the underwriting. And of course I would fly out and uh, be happy to do the uh, due diligence, right? Walking all the units, reading all the leases, spending three days on site. Of course. Uh, which yeah. I've done multiple times now. So just figuring out what can I bring to a partnership and there's, there's a lot of people out there who, who want to operate and it's more profitable to actually be the one who's operating. It's great. I uh -huh. wish I lived in a, in a better market. I would do that part of it. Um, but my circumstances are such that doing that inventory of, of what I can bring to a, a deal and, and where I am, my best bet was to focus more on, on other things. So these guys are great operators and we partner and I help them get the deals done. I love it. You know, and I, I really do feel like this is the key to, to really be able to get that success that people are looking for, you know, figuring out what your strengths are, what your resources and your time actually allows. Like you're a family man, you're working, you got so many different moving pieces going on. You know, like how, how would you ever be able to, uh, like when there's a will, there's a way. So I'm not saying it's impossible by any means. People can do it, but you might need to neglect some other things and make others a priority. And, you know, it, it is all for the good for the long term, but is that what you truly want or what is fair for your family and other individuals in your life at the time? You know, it is something very crucial to be able to think about. I had somebody reach out to me the other day, for instance, and uh, he's working a, a 10 hour days uh, at his job, does a commute one hour each way. So that's 12 hours at least. And he gets the motivation in the car listening to the podcast. But, but at the end of the day, he wants to do a fix and flip. And he, he's got three kids at the, at the home and a newborn as well. I'm yeah. like, dude, how are you going to do it? You know, like this is your first one. You're getting inspired. I, that's awesome. But, you know, like break it down. It, does this really, does your time, does your resources, does everything allow that job process to actually work? Yep. Or would it be, you know, more beneficial for you to ask a couple guys at work if they want to pull some money together? Yeah. yeah. So. yeah. No, it, it, like you said, it's key to know what, what is the, the strength that you bring to the deal or, or to a partnership? And then who do you need to bring in to help you with the other aspects of that? And how can you guys all work together? Yeah. Uh, that, and I couldn't see that when I first started, right? So I, I had my 16 units. I'm operating all these properties, being the you know Joe landlord, and I was investing in syndications, 
but I didn't know how I could ever do it myself with three kids. And I was coaching their hockey and soccer teams. I was still playing hockey and soccer myself, you know, so eventually I had to give some things up. Right. So, you know, one of my, you know, both two of my kids were in high school at the time. Um, when I first started to, you know, get into this syndication part. As okay. a, so two of them had gone to high school. I was coaching less. I gave up playing hockey, gave up playing soccer. I was spending all my nights and weekends doing this stuff, um, doing, you know, syndication or, or multifamily. Um, that's what it took. I had to give some things up and, and make those sacrifices and do that grind, you know, to get where I am. And then the, um, you know, finding those partnerships. And it wasn't until, again, I, I figured out what am I bringing to the, to the table here? What can I do that adds value? And I'll tell you, you know, in terms of mindset, the very first deal, you know, my partner says, we need to raise $2 million and I think I can raise half. Yeah. So I said immediately, I'll raise the other half. And I had no idea if I was going to be able to raise the other half, right? It, it was scary. There's a business coach, Dan Sullivan. He talks about uh, building capability and that capability doesn't just happen on its own, that you have to kind of commit to a goal or commit to being able to do something. For sure. And then you act out of, um, uh, out of fear and uncertainty and you just have to do the work that, that it's going to take to get to that goal. And you, you don't know if you're going to, if you're going to meet it, right. You're, you're scared. Yeah. You do it anyway. And when it's finally done, if you believe in it hard enough and, and yep. in terms of believing, you have to believe harder than all of your critics combined. Right. So you have to 100% just have a belief that you're going to get this thing done. Which is a, a task by itself. You know, it's really it's control so of the mindset. Yeah. That is so hard. I just went through it again, actually. Yeah. Um, but I believed, I went after it. And when it was all said and done, I then had the capability. So now I could talk to everybody and say, I can bring a million dollars to a deal. That's and right. It just it rolled off my tongue like it was second nature. 100% I can do it again. Why wouldn't I be able to? Yeah. Right. So, and that's why things change after you get your first deal done, because I think it's you know, part of your confidence and, and the energy that you're putting out in the world. 100%. I love that. I'm so glad you, you pinpointed, pinpointed that. I feel like it is very, very crucial for people, um, you know, and just stepping into that. So let's talk about uh, setting up your firm and, you know, what that looked like. Uh, what is the purpose of it? Just so people can get a better understanding. Right. Um, so when I first started to invest in syndications, I was so excited about it that I'm telling my friends and family, I'm like, Hey, you got to invest in this. It's, it's crazy good. Right. I'm getting mailbox money and, and you know, throwing around all this stuff, how excited I was. And, um, some of my friends in my family did invest uh, you know, a few of them here and there, and they were investing in other people's deals, right? The, the syndicators that I was also investing in, I had, I had zero to gain other than feeling good that I was helping my friends and family yep have better investments. So, you know, setting up the company, once I figured out that I was going to do a deal with someone, I figured, well, I better have a, a business or an LLC that I can at least hold my, uh, sort of my business shares from a general partnership perspective. So I created the LLC. Okay. I wanted to have a, a bit of a marketing image, right? So you have to throw up a couple of pages about yourself and, and what you're focusing on just so you have some credibility with investors. Yep. And at the time, I also was still thinking, well, maybe I'll be reaching out to brokers and I want them to see that as well. So business name, LLC, uh, email address, right? All, all the, the typical stuff that goes into um, you know, first getting that business image up, to, up and running from mm -hmm. a marketing perspective. 
Um, so that was pretty simple stuff. Got into that first deal, took my GP or general partner ownership shares into that LLC. Um, and that's really all I use that LLC for today. It, it's a holding company. And when I say that, it sounds all sophisticated, but it's essentially just holding the shares in the deals that I'm doing as a general partner. Yeah. And it's a marketing company or, you know, basically my image, uh, which is, you know, when I send a, a deal out, it's, it's got my logo on it, or I'm sending people to my website to, to download the details. And they see this thing looking and, and acting like an actual company, not just some guy who's doing investments randomly. Right? Yeah. So stuff helps. It makes a difference. So it is, it's the personal brand in a nutshell, as well as a funnel for you to be able to raise money, put it into the account, and then you're controlling the account. So then you can employ it into multifamily apartment buildings and you can get a piece of like you rightfully, you know, should and, and should. Uh, just one correction there is the, uh, that, that is one model. So some folks will, will have their investors investing into their own LLC or a fund that they create. Okay. And then they'll, they'll write essentially a check from that fund to the multifamily asset that they're buying. Uh, the way I've set it up so far is that for each deal, so if I have, uh, you know, the, let's, we'll say the 130 units in San Antonio, yeah. um, we create an LLC called 123 Main Street for that particular um, asset. And there's a bank account associated to that asset as well. Okay. So all the investors will go and invest directly into that LLC. They're gotcha. funding that bank account and that's the account we use to close. So okay. You're going direct into those assets, not into a fund that I'm managing. Okay. Now, are is it a, a new LLC every time, or is it uh, just a, a new bank account every time? I guess. Yeah. So there's uh, there's a property LLC that gets created every time. Either way. Okay. And so there's going to be a bank account associated, the operating accounts, etc. Um, it's just, you know essentially or initially used as an escrow account because it's just storing everybody's investments until we actually take possession of that property uh, until we close. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a new LLC every time. And then also from a management perspective, there's going to be a management LLC that oversees that asset and the operations uh, as far as um, oversight of the property management company, making sure distributions are getting uh, sent out appropriately. And so I'm a part of the management uh, LLC or the management company, as well as my partner. And that's where we kind of divide our shares and roles and responsibilities and all that sort of thing. Okay. Now, when you raise the money and money gets put into the bank account, um, you, you guys might not close on it for another couple of weeks or a month or so, uh, potentially. Do they, do the investors start making money on that the day it hits that account or not until you guys close? Uh, I would say indirectly. So it's not like they're earning interest on that money, but the, the bank account uh, sometimes is an interest bearing account. Uh, that's going right into the operating um, fund for that property once we do close and would end up going back to the investors as uh, part of their distribution at some point in the future. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's generally, you know, we've got three or four weeks before we close. We close, the property starts operating, and then distributions go out you know, every quarter at that point. Gotcha. So basically you are just trying to put their money into the account very close to when you know, the deal is gonna close. So you know, it's not hanging out in there for several months. Right, and the timing on the, on the deal is, is uh, fairly quick anyway, I think. Yeah. 
So your first uh, 30 days, you're doing diligence and making sure that you really want to buy the property, right? Yeah. You're on site, you're, you're visiting competitive um, properties and doing mystery shopping, we call yeah. it, right? So essentially going in and uh, pretending to be a renter looking for a two, uh, sorry, two bedroom, uh, two bedroom with washer dryer with seven foot ceilings in a pool, right? <laughs> just just yeah. trying to figure out exactly like my units are X and I want to look at the same type of units all within a mile. And okay. so all that happens in that first 30 days, you're looking at the bank accounts, all their leases, et cetera. Once you've completed due diligence, that's when we start getting investors involved because at that point we know we're about 30 to 45 days from closing. Because mm. that's how long it takes the banks to get their loans done. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. I love it. You know, multifamily is definitely something that inspires me. It's, it's something that I've been wanting to get into for the last, you know, like two years. Uh, I've had a goal to it, but I haven't actually been putting the work towards it. Um, and there's a lot of mindset, but behind that aspect of, you know, am I ready for that? Or, uh, or it's just, you know, it's big numbers. So it is, it's, you know, you're dealing with a lot of other people's money. So, you know, you want to make sure that that is secured and, uh, and you don't put it to, to shame <laughs> and ruin your name out there or hurt somebody else's like, uh, retirement, God forbid. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, exactly what you just mentioned for, for so many reasons, you want to make sure that there is no failure once you start, you know, to, to bring in money from other, yeah. other investors. So reputation is huge, right? If, if you don't have your reputation, there is nothing. You know, you're, you're not going to grow a business. It's a small world actually in, in multifamily that I've, I've learned along the way. Yes. Keep bringing into the same people at, at conferences and hearing the same names and uh, which is really nice because you know, it's great that we all know each other. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's good to know that when your name comes up, it's going to be uh, in, in a positive light, and you want to kind of maintain that as much as possible. Um, and then what you mentioned as well, you know, losing people's money. Um, you know, if you look at money as a as a store of uh, all of their efforts over the past, you know, five, ten, twenty, thirty years, whatever it is, it's their life savings. But that yeah. represents the work that they've put in, and that's what they're going to rely on to try to have a, a good life in retirement at some point or put their kids through college or whatever it is. Um, it's much more than just, you know, a check that they've written. So it's, it's, uh, it's important to be super careful with that. Uh, and just to go back. Um, so I, you know, you could say that I focus primarily on capital raising and some people focus mainly on operating properties. I think it's really important to know the, the business end to end. So that coaching piece where you go in and you understand how to underwrite properties how to do rent comp analysis, um, really understanding the deal and what drives it and what could go wrong, right? So your, um, you know, your loan to value ratios, your debt service coverage, and what drives those numbers as well. Um, so if I say it's going to be a five-year deal versus a 10-year deal, what does it do to the numbers? Is it artificially making it look like a better deal uh, one way or the other? Now, until you underwrite dozens of deals. You don't really get that and you should not be going out and trying to raise capital so until, true. until you know that stuff inside and out yep. so that when you're partnering with somebody, you're able to um, ask them very detailed questions, challenge all of their assumptions. Yep. And again, really know deeply that it's a great deal. And I, you know, I say personally, I say no to a lot of, of um, opportunities that come to me that you know, once I start digging, I just don't see that comfort level with the partner that maybe they don't feel super comfortable with it. Yeah. Uh, that's usually sort of the newer folks that I, that I start working with, but the folks that I've done several deals with that are really experienced when I see theirs and I start challenging, it's like, they just kind of go through the answers. They've got it all down. 
they already have checked those boxes. They've asked themselves the same questions. And, and that's how I know that it's going to be good. So it's important to know it inside and out. And the other thing is, it's not just capital raising. You have to make sure that you're a part of the business in several other ways. Like I mentioned earlier, you can go due diligence. You can be calling the assessor's office. You can add value in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, so it's important to, from that perspective that you're just bringing more to the partnership. But it's also important because uh, the SEC says you can't just bring money to a deal so and, <laughs> because you, know, you have to be a broker dealer or a financial advisor to, to do that. So if that's all you're doing, it's actually not legal. So you, you, you've, you've got to know all those rules as well, which is all part of uh, you know, coaching. And there's lots of coaches out there. Uh, you know, it's probably pretty easy to find a, a good one. Yeah. You know, when it comes down to syndications as well, the, the laws and regulation guidelines, there's a lot out there that you do need to educate yourself on, be fully equipped with and, um, and make sure you're not you know, uh, twisting or, or breaking any laws there. So it is very crucial. Steve, dude, I appreciate it so much. I feel like there's great value on here. And I'm just curious, you know, what, what would you recommend to somebody looking to get into that multifamily scene and figuring out, you know, they, after listening to this, they sit down with themselves and they see like, okay, well, my time management, my resources, my, uh, you know, my strengths are on this side. Uh, what I don't want to do is definitely on this side. You know, they, they know what they want out of it. Uh, what would you recommend at that point? The first thing I recommend, if you're in a, in a position where you can do this, and I recognize not everybody can, yeah. but if you have money to invest, it's, I think, really important to actually invest in a syndication. I agree. And put in 50K if you can. Yep. And also tell that, sponsor or that, that um, operator that, that's raising the capital, that you want to get a little bit of inside scoop for, for them yeah. to send you a bit more information than they normally would. And I think a lot of people are willing to do that. I had great luck when you know, working with the folks that I was working with, uh, where they were willing to share. And you do learn a lot from that. And then when you actually go to do it yourself, you're speaking from at least some credibility, some understanding of how these things work. When you talk about mailbox money, you've seen that check in your mailbox multiple times. It's not yeah. just some fictitious sort of unicorn thing out there. It, it's actually real and you've actually experienced it. Yeah. Those actually matter quite a bit. So do that, number one, go and invest if you can. And if you can't just make that investment, then maybe a smaller investment. So coaching, right? A couple thousand dollars for online courses, go to a conference, get around people that do this, get excited and, and see if it's for you. And, and again, some people go to conferences and they don't do anything after for various reasons, but sometimes they just figure out, oh, this is more work than I thought it was, yeah. or this doesn't feel right to me. It's not really what I thought it was. That's all good too. You know, sometimes those people just end up being passive investors. Sometimes yes. they don't want anything to do with multifamily at all. Uh, but, but until you put yourself out there and you try a bunch of things, you don't know what you want, right? It's, it's hard to know what all of your all, all options are until you've seen those options. Yeah. So and expecting those small bits of action to, to get moving. I and love that. There's inexpensive training out there. Uh, and then there's like $5,000 version. There's the $15,000 personal coaching version. There's the, you know, join a $20,000 mastermind. There's all kinds of things you can do depending on what your budget is, but just get started. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm very big into investing in yourself. Um, I've just always seen the ROI. So it's always made sense to me. The relationships nine times out of 10 is like, really where it's at but the content in there is always yeah. great bringing a lot of amazing people together all with the 
better mindset to get to that next level and be able to help each other, which mm -hmm. is, you know, it's, uh, it's priceless. So, um, I'm very big on, you know, been a part of several masterminds, 10, 15, 20 grand and, uh, per year. And we only meet up like twice, but You're it's, right. I always still get the ROI. So it's, it's very, uh, super helpful to invest in yourself and, and, uh, be surrounded by like-minded individuals. Yeah. And no matter what happens in the market, uh, you're always going to have that knowledge. You're always going to have the ability to go put that to work. Yep. So true. The best investment and the network, of course, you know, you're not, you're not going to succeed in this business without a, a good, strong network or that. Uh, I think you called it a family earlier. Yeah. I always joke when I'm going to conferences, I'm like, I'm going to see some, some of my multifamily uh, yeah. family members. Family. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's so cool. So uh, Steve, how can people get a hold of you if, um, if they may? Uh, easy way is go to Velocity Cap. That's Velocity Cap, uh, short for capital, on Facebook or VelocityCap.com. Okay, awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much once again. I really do appreciate it. I know the listeners are going to uh, definitely have a lot of content that they can run with and take action on. So that's tremendous. That's what we're all about, educating, motivating, and preparing people to take action out there. So I do appreciate your time. That is your biggest asset. No matter how many doors you have, I'm sure uh, you're, not getting, you're not getting your time back. So I do appreciate you giving that up for us and pouring into the listeners. If you guys want to reach out to me, you guys can always find me on uh, BrandonElliottInvestments.com, Instagram, BrandonElliottInvestments, and then Facebook.com slash BrandonElliottREI. With that being said, any final last thoughts? Nope. Just that it was an absolute pleasure pleasure being on your show, Brandon, and I uh, really appreciate it. Appreciate and, you, man. Uh, Thank you so much. To the listeners, go get them. Yeah, go get them, guys. Appreciate you. Stay blessed. Till next time, we'll see you next Monday. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless. Thank you.